Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Please welcome to Actuarial People, Jotsna Korshik. Hi. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thank you, James. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. And I'm I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we are going to have here today. Uh, me too. Thanks so much for, for spending some time this morning. It's uh, it's nice to have, I guess, quite a few of my, my guests today to have had a pensions background. Not all of them, but um, but you work in, in insurance and investment. So I'm very much looking forward to, to getting stuck into, into that. So um, I wondered before we get started, if you could give the listeners a feel for who you are and what you do today, and then we'll go back to the beginning and uh, and work from there. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, work as a consulting actuary. I work in the ALM space, uh, which is uh, asset and liability management. Uh, so it is basically, I, I work across uh, uh, investments and uh, uh, the, it, it is mainly in investments, but I also work on the matching adjustment related projects a lot. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm someone who is originally from from India, and then I have moved here as part of uh, my my work and as part of my personal uh, life. But I mean, I have been here for uh, more than ten years now, probably probably eleven. I'm touching twelve years, uh, so I have been here for a long time. And I think uh, as part of my work, I have worked across both industry and consulting. Uh, I have moved around a bit, and I think I, that is something that I want to talk about a bit more in detail later. Uh, but I have worked across uh, consulting and I have, uh, and and the industry, and then uh, at some point in my career, I decided that I want to. Uh, specialize in the ALM space, in the investment space, and then I mean, today I'm working as an actuary who is uh, uh, I'm working as an investment actuary, and that is something I really enjoy and uh, something I'm, I'm very very excited to talk about today. Fantastic! Well, very much looking forward to it. And um, if we can start where I always do, which is to go right back to the beginning, uh, can you remember when you first discovered that actuaries existed? When I was growing up, and this was in India, in in Delhi, uh, I was uh, always good in maths. So maths was definitely one of my my favorite subjects. And uh, uh, when I was growing up, I had in my mind that I want to be a civil servant. So these are administrative services. That is what it is called in India. And uh, but because I I was also good in maths, so I thought that I'm going to also specialize in maths and then I'm going to give these exams and then become a civil servant. That was definitely the path that I had in my mind. Uh, so after I did my 12th, which is equivalent to the A-levels here, I uh, took maths as the main subject in my graduation. And then I moved on to my post-graduation, which was again in maths. But when I 
was in my post graduation then i i think we i was it was just a group of friends and we were just talking about that what do you want to do what is it that you want to do next and what do you want to become and one of my friend mentioned actuarial science and i was absolutely clueless about it i had no idea what that was yeah. and so i i asked him so what is it and then what is it uh, i mean what is it that you need to do in order to become an actuary and then he told us that you know there are like certain set of exams that you have to take at that point it was it was the, the ct and ca structure so it was like the 15 exams that one had to do and they are mainly mathematics statistics and you know finance and i thought okay that does not sound bad <laughs> and uh, we <laughs> and then i researched about it and you know i mean like i mean and then how is the job and how is the pay and all that and i thought okay th- this does not look bad i can do it i mean i know a lot of maths i know a lot of stats i can definitely do it and uh, so that is when i first heard about actuarial science and so after i finished my masters that's when i started pursuing actuarial science examination along with trying to find a job so most of my exams that i have given they have been along with the job i did not do an actuarial degree because i think by that time i heard about actuarial sciences i was already done with studying i had already studied so much by that point that i had no no intention of doing another university degree yeah uh but that is when i first heard about it and i think something i want to add here is that that must have been a very very persuasive conversation uh because there were five of us which were uh, like i mean a group of friends that we had and four of us ended up becoming actuaries really and <laughs> and i ended up marrying that friend who suggested actuarial science <laughs> to me <laughs> so yeah yeah i mean yeah that that goes without saying my husband is also an actuary so yeah that is when i first heard about actuarial science what about the one who didn't become an actuary what are they doing now civil servant she 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 uh, became a teacher so she i think okay. now teaches she now teaches maths to uh, these 12 standards so which is like i mean a level so that's what she does yeah yeah nice Oh, thanks. So, so when you heard about it, the the fact that you had to pass all of these exams just to qualify as an actuary, that was part of the attraction that that appealed to you. No, 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 that was not the attraction. Oh, I think, okay, uh, no, no. <laughs> it was basically that I could use my knowledge or like my understanding of maths and stats. So I thought that, uh, I mean, obviously maths. Then, I mean, it came very naturally to me. So I thought that I can use my knowledge and my grinding in maths and stats in order to pass these exams quickly. Yeah. which was not to be <laughs> but i think there's another question <laughs> but yeah i mean i think what really interested me is that i mean uh, that uh, the obviously uh, the kind of like the technical bit of it and then also i think at that point i was i was probably you know steering towards a corporate job in comparison to like a government job which is what like the civil services are hmm. so i think at that point i was steering in in that and and probably finance was also like a natural choice for me my dad used to work in a bank my brother still works in a bank and so i mean like finance was in that sense a very very natural choice uh and then it was like either banking or insurance and then i thought okay this this looks good i mean like uh, uh, it looks good it, it seems to pay good it is a corporate job so i mean yeah i mean it, it seemed to fit the bill perfectly Fine. So how how did you get your first actuarial job? So how did I get it? I mean I think it was really about uh, you know kind of like uh, trying to to find because I mean at, at that point it is very interesting because in comparison to UK India at that point was very much an emerging market uh in in India the the insurance was uh, 
I mean, it was completely state held until 2000. It is, I think, in, in early 2000 when the sector opened up for private players. Okay. And as a result of that, a lot of private companies came into play around the same time. And because, I mean, there were so many insurance companies that were coming up and so they needed actuaries. So the demand of actuaries in India increased a lot at the, at least, you know, in those years, like early 2000, those mm -hmm. years. And I think that is when actuarial science started to gain, you know, also some traction. And like, I mean, people and students came to know about it, that there is this, this uh, field that people can go into, that students can go for. And... Uh, uh, because, I mean, as uh, as I've just mentioned that it was an area which was opening. So, so there were companies who were coming up and then they were looking for actually. So my first job was actually with a company that was based out of UK, but they were setting up a sister firm in Mumbai. Okay. And they needed people, so because it was it was uh, it was a startup, so that my first company was a startup, and because they were looking for people, so they were looking for actual students also at every level, and uh, I interviewed for them, and then they selected me. They actually asked me to model. Uh, a CT5 question, which I had no clue about, but I think I still went about and did something. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they, they selected me and then here I am so many years later. Yeah. yeah. So how, how was it? Do you, do, you, do you think about that first job? Do you remember how, how you found it the first, first year or two? I think, I mean, I always think that in some ways you have a lot of emotional connect with your first job. That is what I had. I think, I mean, your, your first job is... is in some ways, it is special. I mean, it is the first time that you uh, that you work with with you know all these people who are definitely much more learned. And I think uh, the learning curve that you have in your first job it is immense because I mean you are coming from zero and then you are you know trying to learn the ropes. I mean you are trying you I mean the, the softwares. I mean at that point, I mean I had not worked on Excel a lot before I I worked started working. And I mean there was I think the learning curve was so steep there, and there were so many things that we were. Uh, you know, just just trying to uh, learn. I mean, it was it was not just uh, you know the day to day job. It is also about you know things like communication and then you know dealing with stakeholders and yeah, all those senior senior stakeholders that you have to deal with. So it was, I think, in that sense, uh, there was a lot of learning on that first job, and which is something that I think uh, I have I have taken along with me on this journey. And I think I met some like incredibly supportive people in my first job like I mean people who have really mentored me and shaped my career these are the people that I still sometimes reach out to when I feel stuck when I feel that I don't have a solution I mean these are the people who, who I still rely upon for advice and uh, I mean like the people that I worked with they were like incredibly intelligent and I think I have learned a lot working with them working along with them and seeing how they are uh, addressing issues and how they are tackling problems and i mean i think and again as actually everyone has a very very different way of of working i mean there are some people who would probably you know like just just go into dive dive into a problem and then you know try to find a solution well and there are some people who would probably, you know, try to get like, I mean, a better picture, try to see like what are the different angles to it and then try to tackle it. And I think when you're working with a diverse group, you learn something from everyone. Hmm. And uh, that that is, uh, I mean, I have very, very fond memories of working in Mumbai in my first job. And what were you doing there? What was what was the role? So uh, it is good that you asked that because I know that you have spoken to a lot of pension actuaries on your podcast. So my first job was actually in pensions. 
So okay. I used to uh, price uh, the defined benefit pension scheme. So the company that I used to work with, it was a bio, bio specialist. So uh, the team that I was in, it was the pricing team. And I used to price all these, uh, you know, uh, defined benefit schemes for quotations and then, you know, uh, yeah. in order for a company to be able to price those schemes uh, so that these can be de-risked from the employees, I mean, the, the pension scheme holders. So, uh, so that was my first role. And I also worked uh, as part of my role, I also worked on the evaluation of member options. The, the, so these are the options which are available to those pension scheme members. So that was also part of the role. And uh, something that I also worked on, because I think it was probably out of my interest on, on modeling side. So I uh, there were like one of projects which involved modeling on this software that we used, which was, I think, Profit. Mm -hmm. And it was something which was very, very interested to me. I mean, uh, it was uh, not same as the day-to-day -day job that I was doing. So I thought that it provided a welcome break from the other work that I was doing. And uh, so that was also something that I got my hands on to. And that actually helped me with my second job when I moved to the UK. How long did you work there for? Hi guys, we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second. Just a quick reminder that when I'm not recording podcasts, I specialise in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves, and I'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options. I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. I was there for close to five years. Yeah. Okay. And then at the yeah. end of that, that's when you moved to the UK? That's when I moved to the UK. Yeah, I moved to UK for personal reasons. I got married and then after, my husband was based out of UK at that point. And so I, I moved. Uh, but the work that I was working on the on some of the models in that uh, in my first company that really helped me get my job here uh, because I moved into an actuarial systems team. So that was a team which used to which was responsible for all the models which were mm -hmm. used by various teams. And that was really interesting because um, uh, it was a very, very hands-on job. I mean, I started working on the modeling of pension liabilities, of, of annuities. Uh, so it was uh, it was an annuity specialist. It was not a pension specialist. It was an annuity specialist. So I was moving from DB pensions to annuities, which are like not too far, but not exactly alike also. Uh, so the I moved into the modeling team, which and I was uh, working in a liability modeling uh, roles where I where we were using various softwares in order to model the the liability, which was then used by both pricing and evaluation team. And uh, I started in a liability role, but uh, I the same team also owned the modeling of the assets. So they were also responsible for all these models which they used for modeling of assets. And that was something which really interested me. And I wanted to work on that. So I asked them that I want to to asset modeling. I mean, I have worked in liability modeling for a long time, and then I want to move, move into assets now. Yeah. And as luck would have it, uh, while I was there, this company also entered into buyout space, so into a DB okay. buyout space. So they wanted someone with the knowledge of defined benefit and uh, how the liability works and how are these modeled. So they wanted someone with that knowledge, and they already had 
someone in the team because I mean I already knew that. So the, it was a trade-off. So I mean, what happened was that I mean I told them that I want to move to the asset modeling. They were like, okay, you work on this project, and then once that is done, then you can move into the asset modeling. So I, I supported them with the model which was established in order to value the defined benefit buyouts, the pension schemes, and then I moved into the uh, asset modeling. And uh, that was something, again, I mean, like, again, very, very interesting phase because something that I hadn't tried before and I got exposure on uh, uh, modeling of all these niche assets like uh, equity release mortgages and uh, and the commercial real estate uh, leases. So these these products, I mean, these property assets, they had like, they, they have a very, very uh, niche modeling. And that was something that I was never exposed to before. So I got to work on that. Yeah. And I was also working on the model which was used for the calculation of the valuation rate of interest. So it is, this is still solvency one or like pre-solvency two that I'm talking about. So I also got my hands on that. And then obviously, as the transition was happening towards solvency two, I also got a flavor of all these models which were being developed for, for solvency two world. Mm-hmm. So again, I mean, like again, a very, very steep learning curve in my second role also, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> So if if we go back to when you worked in India you were you were pricing buyout transactions for UK yeah. schemes was it was that just luck that that's ended that ended up being your first job or did was part of it sort of a conscious decision that if I specialize in this area it might open up opportunities to go to the UK No it was it was pure luck I think uh when uh, I mean, I, and that was my take at that point. Okay, I'm a student. I will probably grab the first job that picks me. But I think it is just that it happened to be a great one. Mm. So I think that was luck for me. So, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it was not a conscious decision that I want to work in pension space or I want to work in life insurance space. I think in some ways, my journey has been defined by it, some of the choices that I have made, but I think it also also by, you know, like, I mean, the path that I have been on mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah I mean it was not a conscious decision yeah. not at that point. How, how did you find the process of moving to the UK obviously you had your your, your personal reasons for, for wanting to do it but was it at the time was it straightforward finding a, a role or was it did it take time? Uh, it was I, I think I was lucky in the sense that I was able to get this job even before I joined so I was actually interviewed when I was still in India. So, I mean, and uh, I think at that point, I mean, obviously it was the, the remote working and all these tools were not so much available, but they were still like, you know, I mean, I, I don't even remember the name of the uh, app which was used to interview me. It was definitely not Skype Teams or, or something in those it days. It was not even <laughs> Skype. No, I, I no. don't remember. I think it was some really odd app because it looked very, very different. I, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, but but I managed to get uh, this job even before I moved. So I think in that way, it was good that if, if, even by the time that I made the move, I mean, I left and I came here, I had a job in hand. Uh, but I think keeping that aside, I think uh, like moving countries is, is difficult. Uh, it it uh, involves a lot of adaptation. And I think uh, the... And it becomes, it is probably even more difficult if you make this move later in your career. I think when you are moving for studies, etc., you you can adapt much more quickly. But I think the later you do it, 
more difficult that is my experience i mean it may not be the, i'm not speaking for anyone else i mean that is purely out of my experience so i was definite and i as i mentioned the company that i used to work in it was uh, it had like a parent firm in uk so i used to travel to london a lot so it was not that i didn't know what i was getting into uh, but i think still i i felt nervous about the move but i think uh, there are um, uh definitely a few things which really helped me out so uh one of the thing that because when i was moving it was uh, around the time of the solvency 2 wave uh you know all these reforms and all these changes happening and yeah. there were a lot of people who were on same journey as mine so there were people like i mean actuaries that i knew from india who were also moving to uk at the same time so i mean in in that sense i was still i still had a cohort of you know people like uh peers and mentors who were there to it who and on on whom I could lean upon if I needed any advice I mean if I was finding it difficult because there were people who were in same situation as me and as i said before like i mean i i had uh, mentors in india whom i relied upon whenever i needed any advice so i think that also supported me and i think apart from that that the organization that i joined i mean the and like I mean the bosses that i had and the senior so the support that i got that was also very very helpful uh, in you know me adjusting to this you know completely new corporate uh, environment so i think that also helped me a lot i mean i came across like really really helpful really generous people in the sense i mean like the support that they provided me in terms of you know time or training or guidance that really helped me settle uh, much more quickly and easier than what i anticipated and what were the challenges how how was it different and what were the things that you sort of needed help with i will tell you one so one is like i think uh, you know the nuances in communication that is one that i can tell you so you know like when uh, like when you are working in india the communication is much more straightforward so i mean whereas here i mean because uh, people are you know much more polite so they do not may not want to you know make you uh, upset or things like that so which is why sometimes they would tell you something where it could be i mean like there is an understated meaning but i mean you if you just take it on the face of it then probably it is not i mean so i think communication is definitely one okay. thing uh, and uh, so i i think it is not just the communication it is the nuances of communication because i think different countries uh, they operate in very very you know different environments so i think uh, that is one so sort of understanding what people expect of you if they're just saying oh maybe you could try this but actually yeah. i mean do this differently <laughs> yes and you know like uh, so if somebody tells you for example that uh, uh, that okay it is not bad so i mean what does not bad mean i mean does it to, to me it was confusing okay is it good is it okay yeah, when you say it like that it does it doesn't make any sense does it <laughs> so is it venturing into the bad category and so i need to be careful about yeah. so i think it is you know just those you know small nuances mm. of conversation communication and conversation and they are you know i mean they are a part of culture right i mean they are a part i mean every country has as a different culture and have, have different uh, sort of you know communication techniques so i think that was one and uh, i mean like otherwise um, uh, and i think also and, and this is probably not it was not a difficulty but i think it is something that i really really appreciated about being here and being able to work here is that i mean london is a true melting pot i mean like even in my first company i was working with actuaries from you know south africa new zealand malaysia china india <laughs> and of course britain so you know to be able to 
to get the opportunity to work with people from you know such very backgrounds i mean all of whom have been raised in obviously like very very different environments they have like different styles of working and of communicating and to be able to get that opportunity i think i think it gives you a very very uh, interesting and very very useful perspective so i think that is something that i probably like really really appreciate about you know getting this opportunity to be here yeah so if anyone listening is about to make this move or they're thinking about making this move is there any advice you give them in terms of how they can best prepare themselves what advice would i give to someone who's trying to make a I think one of the thing like I mean as I already said that uh, I have uh, benefited from from peers and uh, you know from mentors along the way whom I have met along the way so I think if you are trying to make a move then probably try to speak to someone who has already done that so that may be able to give you some very very useful pointers and like as I said I mean everyone has a different journey in the sense so for example if someone is moving as a student here they are going to face completely different issues in comparison to me who moved as someone who was already working but if you know people or even if i mean like right now there are you know so many channels like people are on linkedin i mean and and you could reach out to people and then try to you know uh, i mean because I, i do that i mean people do reach out to me and if they want to you know have a conversation about it like mean okay what is it i mean how the market is i mean and what can we do i i work for a network and i get a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, I, I get contacted by a lot of students and by some other people also want to understand how the UK market operates. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I mean, I, I try to provide. I mean, I, I speak to them. I sometimes speak to them. I sometimes text them. I try to provide them as much information as I can. If I can't, then I also try to find where that information lies and I try to help them out. But having said that, the point was that I mean, if you already know someone who has done that, then probably reach out to them. Try talking to them how it has been for them. and uh, you could you could get some pointers from them um and i think otherwise uh, just you know be be open to the idea of moving so do not kind of like you know have any set notions in your mind so that you you kind of like feel less surprised yeah. and i think it is a it is a wonderful place to be in london is absolutely amazing so i think uh, yeah just just uh, take the dip and everyone has got their own journey i think you will probably be surprised by it yeah yeah and um, were you were you qualified when you moved or were you still making your way through the exams when you came to the uk i was i was uh, working and i think examinations are uh, are something where i could have probably done a little better i took probably a little more time than what i originally anticipated like as i said before i thought okay it is absolutely easy i will fly through the exams not to be but <laughs> <laughs> so uh i think uh, what happened with me was that when i was working through my first job as i said that i mean i i probably gave like all my exams while i was working because i was also uh kind of like learning and you know learning the ropes of the work and all that i that distracted me a bit from the exams i think i probably should have focused more on the exams then mm-hmm. uh, but i i didn't do so much i mean the company that i was in that probably had one of the best supports in in indian insurance market and i did not make the best use of it whenever i meet my ex ceo he always points it out that i should have qualified sooner <laughs> but <laughs> but having said that uh, so i uh, i made my way through my earlier exams while i was still in in india but i was left with all the higher exams when i moved here 
so i was not qualified by then but when i was moving i told myself that i'm going to pass my exams quickly now i mean i cannot push them to to any you know anymore and uh, when i moved here i mean the support that i received from the employer i i tried to meet you know the best use of it like use tutorials i i went to all tutorials i used all the revision material that was available all the support i mean all the possible support that i could get from like from the employer and from ifoe and uh, yeah i mean and then i actually managed to uh, make my way through my higher exams much more quickly than my earlier exams so i think in that way my journey has been slightly different mm. uh, but uh, uh, i think yeah i mean so i think having all that uh, support available so even things like tutorials so i mean you can get face to face tutorials here but you can't get it in india i mean what you get are like some of the webinars but having all that support uh, being uh, available and then i think uh, you just kind of like try to make the best use of it and uh, so that that helped me so kind of like being a little more focused at you know during that part of my career and then try to kind of like you know to just get them out of the way so yeah that that did help and yeah. uh, i i think what also helped uh, probably with my higher exams is that because i already had some experience of working by then and i think a lot of these higher exams do test your knowledge like it is not just the knowledge in the in the course that they are testing it is also about like how aware you are and how do you know how the company operates and so uh, some of this stuff is probably more generic but if you have an idea of how uh, the insurance operates and what are the various risks and things like that then you can use that to you know also support your knowledge that you are gaining from the course so i think that helped me at that point because i i was because already working for a few years by then so i had some idea so i was able to also utilize that in order to pass through my my higher exams and i have an interesting story to tell good for the <laughs> sa exam i i i have told this to so many people so i am definitely going to mention it here <laughs> So I I specialize in investment so finance and investment was the last exam that uh, like me that I took and so it, it used to be SA5 then I think now it is something else it is probably SA7 uh but uh, what happened was that I thought that I was underprepared and at I think two days before the exams I I was telling my husband I told him yeah I don't think that I probably will pass it I should not I think I'm not like very well prepared because I, I like to be well prepared when I'm going for the exams I want to be you know be able to do all my revision and then turn all the past 10 years papers and things like that and then he was like okay because uh, you know you're already giving your st5 also at the same time and there's a lot of overlap in the course so you can capitalize on that you have already been through the course you have read the material uh, just go for it and then you know like you, and one of the thing one of the uh, with writing sa5 at least at that point and probably now also is that you need to be aware of how the financial market operates so i used to read you know all these uh, like financial newspapers like city am or like I mean if i could get my hands on ft then you know just read and then what is happening yeah so i used to do that already so i think in some ways i was prepared i thought that i was under prepared but i was like okay so okay i'll go and get the exam and so i went and then i went so one of the exam one of the question in the exam was basically uh, asking a about how um why would a regulator want to delink the retail and the investment banking and when i was writing the answer to it i quoted uh, an act which i saw in a financial documentary 
very <laughs> yeah i did i did i mean uh, yeah it was it was an act which which was uh, applied in 1933 and it was repealed in i think early 2000 and that is one of the reason of why the financial crash in 2008 happened i saw it in a financial documentary i remembered it and i quoted that uh, that act so and and i passed that exam i mean i think to this date i believe that i passed because of watching a financial documentary there yeah. is no other reason that i passed that exam <laughs> it was an academy award winner by the way so definitely some merit there yeah oh nice and then had you watched it recently or you you have a very good memory and you see it i watched it twice by then i think yeah <laughs> brilliant which is why i remembered it yeah nice <laughs> did did you know you had passed then or, or were you still a bit nervous no, waiting no, for the results no i was i was still a bit nervous but when the results came out then i passed then i thought okay perhaps examiner definitely looked at the act and then he went and then he searched for it yeah so yeah probably he gave me one extra mark <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for quoting that that act but yeah yeah so i yeah watching documentaries also help fantastic that is <laughs> <laughs> and so in terms of your your career journey so you you came to the UK you joined an annuity specialist you started off on the liability side you then transitioned an opportunity came up to to move into the asset side um i can see on linkedin you then you then made a move to a consultancy what was that like it was interesting yeah i mean i think um, and that was uh, and i think it has become like it was part of my journey also because i think at that point uh, i was probably trying to find out that where what is it that i like i mean okay i have worked in pricing i have worked in systems and then i was getting exposure on the asset side and when i moved to the uh when i moved to the consultancy then i got exposure to obviously on the actual audits but i also got an opportunity to work on a lot of klm projects so i was supporting clients with you know internal model application internal model validation i was also working on you know the capital optimization of all the standard and non standard assets so i was working a lot on klm side also and that was a decision that i made very very consciously so i think some of the decisions in my career have been like uh, they they have been by luck but some of them have been conscious i think this was definitely a conscious decision that i started exploring that how is it like working in this space and i went about it and then i mean, i think at that point i kind of like actively tried to you know lead my career into that direction mm-hmm. and i i absolutely enjoyed it and i think that is when i decided that okay i i probably want to work in the alm and capital space and which is why when i moved from uh the consulting then i made this conscious decision that okay i want to move definitely move to an alm role so which is how my current role came about yeah so um for anyone who's not an alm specialist they might work in insurance but in a different sector or they might be a pensions actuary can you just give a feel for what an alm actuary does yeah so the acronym stands for it is asset liability management so it basically involves uh, looking at both your assets and liability in order to understand that how do they measure and if there are any mismatches and if there are any mismatches then what can you do in order to a mitigate that and b also you know maximize the return that you get on on these assets so uh, if you are working in the alm space i mean i work on the insurance side i know that there are a lot of alm actuaries or investment actuaries who provide support on pension side also which i mean i haven't worked on that so i probably won't be able to comment a lot on that but if you are working in the insurance space uh, then you could be working on you know like the actual models which are used in the projection of the assets and liabilities so you could be looking you could be working on that you could be looking at that projection uh, you could also be uh 
trying to assess that what are uh, the different market risks that impacts your assets and liability how could you hedge that what is it what instruments can you use in order to hedge those risks uh, you could also be you know uh, helping out in some of these strategy settings so an insurance company will, will probably have you know some investment related uh, strategic objectives so i mean you could be contributing to that i mean trying to one you could be contributing to to the objective setting as well as you know assessing how uh, the the assets that a company hold how do they compare against that objective um you could also work in the matching adjustment space so i mean some investment actuaries also work in that because that is also again like it is a good combination of assets and liabilities it uh, touches both areas so you could be working on that and then seeing like i mean what the regulators are doing in that space and then how does that impact the matching adjustment calculation or like any of the regulatory requirement that relates to the calculation of the statistic um you could uh, also be uh you could also you could be uh, supporting all these tcna stakeholders i mean because some of these issues are very very technical and very very complicated so i think one of the skill which is very key is to be able to explain all these things in in a language uh, in in a way that is understandable uh, having said that i mean the actuaries are obviously like they are highly intelligent people i mean like most of the people that you are going you are working with they are they are highly highly intelligent so probably they are going to understand that but there would still be people in the audience who are probably uh, kind of like not attuned to all these things so so you should be able to explain you know like all these complicated topics uh, in a way that is understandable to most people so i think that is probably one of the important skill um and uh, yeah i think that is what comes to my mind and what what does it feel like working in that space in terms of the sort of workflow is it project based because i guess in insurance if you compare it to say financial reporting where it's quite structured you know you've got your monthly quarterly annual reports coming up and it's quite repetitive i guess is is alm completely different to that how does it how does a typical year go the work that i do it is very project based so i mean it is like I mean really dependent upon what is the new issue that is coming up so i think i probably uh, kind of like said this before that when you are working in the investment space what you are doing is that you are working on very real life financial issues and then coming up very very real life solutions to those problems hmm. so i think uh, uh, so and uh, the challenges that you that you could see i mean they could be non standard i mean it is not something that you would probably come across as some of the for during some of the bau work uh, so i think so one thing is that so i think it is because uh, it is an area which is very much impacted by what is happening in the market so you could be addressing issues which are completely new so just to give you an example like i mean when uh, the um when the budget news came last year which was like in the fall of 2022 i mean that completely that had a lot of impact on the market and then that did have a lot of real life impact on the pension schemes on the insurers so i mean there would be actuaries and there would be people who are trying to you know address all those issues in real time so some of this work i mean it is not bau but some of some of the work could be bau so i mean like you are still there are still some reports and you know some statistics which are to be produced on a regular basis so you could be working on that which is kind of like you know obviously more bau but you could also be working on some of these issues which are like very very real time and uh, yeah and they come out of nowhere and the solution that you have come up with mm-hmm. i mean that is also kind of like very very bespoke so completely a mix yeah uh, i would say
Okay, so that you, you worked for the consultancy for for five years, and now you're you're back at an insurer. I mean, you, you you can name companies if you like, but we don't have to. So I'm 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 not going to because I don't know. We didn't talk about that earlier. But um, tell us about your your current role, why you moved there, what you're doing, what you're doing today. I think, uh, like as I said, so I mean, of uh, when I was at a consulting, I was working on a mix of audits and uh, the ALM projects, and then I decided that I definitely want to kind of like just move and work exclusively in the ALM area. So that was definitely one of the reasons. And I think personally also I was uh, at that uh, point where I thought that I should probably move back to the the industry. Uh, I had just had my second child at that point. So I thought that, I mean, personally, probably it would be something that will will work well for me. And I think uh, professionally also, because I wanted to move on to a role which was core and completely ALM. So that that was also one of the motives. I think both of them kind of like, you know, yeah, I mean, both reasons kind of like geared me towards this this role, and I think it came up, and yeah, I took it up. What is it you love about ALM? You've you've, you've talked a lot about it, but why for you is that the right space for you? One of the things that I said earlier that, I mean, the challenges that you face, I mean, they are kind of like, they are very real. So, I mean, the issues that come up. So, I mean, I think uh, as a person, I I do get triggered by challenges in the sense that I kind of like, I do feel that I probably get my best sometimes when I'm trying to uh, work out on problems which do not have a defined solution. So if, if I really, you know, have to like, you know, get my hands dirty on something, look into something and then try to find. And as part of my role currently, when I have to, you know, try to do something like a. I either have to, you know, uh, do something from the start. I mean, like if I just, I love working out things from first principle. I think it is a very, very actual habit that I have. And in my current role, I I do get an opportunity to do that, to work that a lot. So I think that is something that I absolutely love. And I think uh, again to kind of like. Uh, to be able to face challenges which do not have a defined solution, I think that is also something which really interests me, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I mean it is because it, it really uh, I do feel that I mean I think then I mean they are like kind of like if there is no solution then you are basically you are probably in some ways you are you know just in the dark and trying to find where the door is, uh, but when you find the door then it is very very satisfying I mean you know, to be able to kind of like solve an issue which did not have a defined uh, kind of like answer I think uh, so both these things I mean I think I do experience in the ALM a lot and I think other than that uh, uh, other bit is that I mean working on assets uh, the assets I mean that no to I mean you, you work on a variety of assets I mean you work on bonds you work on swaps you get to also work on property assets so you know uh, like in the past also and sometimes in my current role also I have worked on all these niche assets which have to be modeled in a very very different manner to like mean what a standard model can do and to get your hands dirty and then you know be able to really work from the scratch you know to from to the point that you are working on you know you you have calibrated the risk parameters and then you have produced all the assumptions and then you have made a model to fit all that in and then you can see the result out so i have been in projects where i actually was working from the start to the end i mean like i mean i had control over every bit of it so i think it is those things that have kind of like helped me in being helped me being engaged into into this area mm-hmm. and um, there are kind of like yeah no no two issues are same that is what i feel and i think that is something that keeps me very engaged yeah 
almost the same question, but what what motivates you? Is it is it seeking out those challenges that there isn't, you don't know what the answer is going to be, or is it other things like career progression or yeah, what motivates you? Um, what motivates me? That's a good question. So I think. Um... So, I mean, definitely career progression is one. So now that kind of like, I mean, I'm in this space and, and I know that this is where I want to be and this is where I end to be, uh, want want to be. Uh, I think that that is definitely one of the uh, great motivator to work in this space and to continue working in this. And uh, like, I mean, as I mentioned before, I have worked in pricing, I have worked in investment, I have worked in consulting, which gave me a flavor of valuation. And mm-hmm. now ultimately I'm here. So I think in that sense, I have settled a bit now. Uh, I, I, kind of, I kind of like uh, found my space. Uh, but now that I have found it, I definitely want to build a career in it. So that that is definitely a big motivator of me remaining in this space and then obviously the work that i that i've come across i mean it is something that i absolutely love because i think one of the thing is and i believe in it is that if you really like your work then you like going to work also and you look forward to your day yeah. and that makes your your day a lot more better so if if you love your job and if you love the challenges that your job presents then you will look forward to it and that is going to make you work better also so i think i am in that space and uh, probably because i have i have jumped a bit so i know that what it feels to be in something which i don't like and now that i have it i like it i i i um posted something on this quite recently but what's your favorite day and specific time of the week oh what's my favorite day and specific time of day can i say that it is it is my weekend because i get to spend my time with my kids yeah of course you can <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think it is also because i i do and i think i mean the work that i do i mean obviously it is it is intense i mean and it could be intense and then i mean because i have got two kids so i have to be you know very very I have to ration my time very well. So I have to segregate it very, very well. So when I'm working, I try not to be distracted. Like, I mean, I mean my kids go to school, the younger one goes to preschool, and then I have a nanny who takes care of them afterwards. Yeah. Uh, but I try not to be distracted because then I, I, and this is completely me. I mean, and then I feel that I could, then I really enjoy the time that I spend with them because then the time that I have with them, I try to just, you know, be with them and be present in that moment. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I love my job, <laughs> but I absolutely love spending time with my kids. They are four and six. They are very young and I think uh, they are growing up too quick. I will not have that time. <laughs> just on that, how, how do you get the balance between sort of work and life are you going in the office a few days a week or you work it looks like you're at home today for example yeah i'm at home today but uh, i go into office a few times a week uh i think uh, uh so there is no one has got it perfectly correct right i mean it is it's it is a very very tricky balance and i think we all have our own ways of dealing with it uh what works for me is that uh i'm very organized i think i'm def on the risk of probably sounding immodest i'm probably one of the most organized people i know mm-hmm. but i i really try to do that i put a lot of effort into it and so that does help me uh and if i'm focusing on something then i i mean i try to just focus on that that activity i try not to be distracted so i think that that trait helps me and i think ulti- uh, one of the other thing that probably has really helped me is that uh, if uh, i don't know something then i am then i mean 
I reach out to people. So if I need support or if I need guidance, then I'm not afraid of reaching out to people or probably people thinking that, okay, I don't know. She does not know stuff. I think it is okay. I mean, uh, no one knows everything. So, uh, so that how that helps me is that if I need support and if I reach out and if I get that support, then it makes me, you know, balance out things definitely uh, a lot more better. Yeah. And having a supportive employer really helps. And uh, obviously, in a post-COVID world, we have a lot of flexibility, which is absolutely amazing. I think as a working mother, it is definitely a real bless. I mean, I think it is, uh, yeah, it, it is a blessing. So. Uh, that has really helped out, uh, you know, in, in past few years. I mean, you know, having that flexibility and then having, um, you know, and um, having a good and supportive employer. Yeah. How will you feel if your children tell you one day they'd like to be an actuary? I, I to be honest, I think at this point, I don't know whether I want them to be an actuary. <laughs> <laughs> I think I wouldn't mind, uh, as I told you. So both me and my husband are actuaries. I mean, if it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be a natural choice for them, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is an incredible profession. So I think in that sense, I would be happy. Uh, but then we would be a family full of factories. And I think that thought is a bit daunting. I mean, I, I <laughs> probably <laughs> having yeah, four actuaries in a house, it, uh, where is the diversity? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be able to watch a lot of documentaries on finance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will probably recommend them. Yeah, I mean, I think in order to kind of like, if I want to steer them in that direction, I'm going to just make a list of all the financial documentaries that they should watch. <laughs> um, so you volunteer for the Indian Actuarial Network in the UK. Can you tell us about that? Yes, of course. So it is a, a regional society. And uh, I mean, this network is associated with IFOA. It was founded in 2014, and the intention was basically to, you know, get uh, networking opportunities to all these actuaries of Indian origin who are like, I mean, either like who are from India, or, like even the people who are born here, I mean, they have Indian heritage. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I should probably specify that we are very, very inclusive. All our events are open to actuaries of all ethnicities. So there is kind of like obviously no distinction on the basis of that. But obviously, I mean, that, that was the idea and that was the motivation with this This network was founded. And we we organize uh, technical and uh, technical events and the socials for actuaries. Uh, a lot of uh, people, I mean, at different uh, levels of their career, they attend our events. And we have also uh, started some student-focused events. So we have also worked with Bayes University and Kent University in recent past. So where we went there and then, you know, we spoke to the students. We gave them a flavor of what an actually does. And then what do we do in our day-to-day -day role? And then, I mean, like also giving them some networking opportunity, you know, to, to give them uh, an opportunity to talk to us on a one-to-one -one basis. So, so these are, I mean, the uh, kind of like the activities that this network pursues we are currently around 300 members so we yeah. are quite sizable we are not yeah. small our last event had an attendance of uh, more than 120 people very nice so that was also great yeah yeah so we are very flourishing <laughs> so how, how do people and sign up if they're 
if they're not aware of so it, they, they are now. If they if they want to become a member, then you could uh, go to your IFOA page, and in your members uh, area, then there is an there is a section to select your regional society, and you can go there and then can select it. Uh, having said that, the events are open to everyone. So even if people who are, I mean, there is a preference. I mean, obviously, like I mean, the people that the invites are first sent out to the members, but then there are always places for people who are non-members. So we get both members and non-members, and. Uh, uh, i i must mention that i mean in my role as president of this uh, network i am very ably supported by a group of dedicated volunteers and our committee members who are who are really dedicated to this cause because otherwise we would not be have been able to do it so all of us try to chip in our time uh, we we give time from our personal life in order for this cause and i think uh, one of the reason i mean obviously one of the idea behind is to be able to give back to the profession in some manner because we we do a lot of work with we are doing a lot of with students we are trying to you know also uh, provide support to some of the other actual professionals also in terms of networking opportunities or like i mean even the cpd content or the technical talks that we do mm-hmm. what why do you do it you're busy enough as it is you've got you know a very busy job family yeah what, yeah that's a very good question that is yeah. a very good question so i think uh, and i think i i was probably saying this to someone like probably a week ago is that i mean that if you do not find value in something you would not be able to do it because this is a voluntary job so unless you get some value or some satisfaction out of it you will not be able to do it and i think that holds for me also uh, i find value in this work i mean i i like uh, i mean i i am passionate for the for the causes of connecting and sharing i mean i think that is that is uh, that is an incredible cause I mean, you know like uh, to like to, to give you an example when we were doing some of the uh, university events then like later on we uh, some of the students reached out to us saying that i mean they were trying to you know put their foot into the actual market so we really supported them we provided them the support and and i think that was uh, to be able to you know help out someone uh, in their actual career to be able to shape their career or like even mentor them i think that is something incredible i mean if you get that opportunity because uh, again like networking it is not just about you know what it does to you it is also about what you can do to the community so if you have a genuine interest in you know people's um, in shaping people's career in mentoring and you know like uh, just kind of like a genuine interest in people then you can build connections which are you know well meant and then the connections which are going to last and a, a, a community can only thrive on on these on these things i mean it cannot uh, i mean it has something to it needs something to stand on and i think so this can this um, obviously cause of connecting and of sharing it is it is uh, incredibly i mean i think it is personal to me i really like it i mean i like as a person i mean i do like to be empathetic i i want to be that person that somebody can see and then they can reach out to me and uh, in some ways i do connect to i can connect these two things like well together like being empathetic to people and then having you know being able to connect with people so i think which is why i do find value in this work and i i derive a lot of value from it i think which is why i do devote a lot of my personal time to it and i think uh, it is very very uh, it is great that you asked that because i think i keep on asking that question to myself also <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because i think if i wouldn't find any value in it then i wouldn't be able to continue it i mean i'm not a person who can probably just do something for the sake of it yeah yeah how how can people get in touch with you is linkedin the best way or definitely yeah 
uh, LinkedIn is the best way. I'm I'm there. And then if anyone has any questions or like, yeah, if people want to just reach out generally, then, then I'm not there. And um, well, the, 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 the other thing I wanted to mention was you've been nominated for a, an award, I believe, Investment Actuary of the Year. Yes. And I, I mean, to say that, uh, you know, I was... Uh, I was surprised. I think that, yeah, I mean, to say that I was surprised is an understatement because I think I was completely shocked. And uh, I thought that it was a spoof, it was fake, and which is why I probably sat on that information for some time before it became like more formal. How did you find out? So they mailed me and then I actually mailed them back that, is that correct? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and they said that, yeah, you have been, I mean, yeah, you have like multiple people have recommended you. And I think I was going to ask them that who recommended me, that would have been my, my next question. But then I think I gave up at that point. Uh, and this but, is the actual yeah, I mean, post awards just to... Yes, just these to are the yeah, actual yeah. post awards. So, Amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, Again, like incredibly happy and very, very grateful to have been nominated. Some very, very amazing people. And yeah, all the best to everyone for the results. When, when do you find out? Is it is it this year? Uh, I think it's in December edition. So okay. I don't know when that comes out, whether it comes out in December or January. Yeah. But yeah, let's see. And do you have to do anything? Do, you, do they ask you anything or you just have to uh, sit and wait? No, and... <laughs> so not, not anything. So I mean, it is just that I have to seek votes. So James, you can also vote for me. <laughs> Am I allowed to? Can anybody vote or do I have to be an actuary? Uh, I don't know. I will find out after this if I can yeah. and you'll get my vote. <laughs> More the merrier. <laughs> Fantastic. And anyone listening, yeah, get over to the actual post website and uh, yeah, vote for Jotsna. But Thank no, I wish you. you wish you the best of best of luck with that. That would be um that'd be fantastic. Yeah. No, no. I, I, all I, yeah, my best wishes to all the nominees. Yeah. I mean, I think being nominated is 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 an award in itself. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'm just happy that also. Yeah, well, very best of luck. Um, Thank you. I'm going to move. So I, I usually finish up with two or three questions. One of them is fairly pensions related, so I might sort of change it slightly. But um, the first one is, what advice would you give someone who's just starting their actuarial career today? I think one of my first advice would be to, you know, get done with the exams as quickly as you can. That was something that probably I could have done better. So, I mean, yeah, uh, so that will be uh, one of my first advice. Why, why would you say that? Does it matter how quickly you qualify? Um, what's uh, your view? I think in, in, I think if you just get them out of the way, then you can focus on other things. Then you mm. can, you know, focus on probably steering and shaping your career sooner. That is what I feel. Because, I mean, unless... Uh, the exams are there you could be you know at least if not you could probably be held back by that thought that okay this is something this is a this but i think otherwise in terms of work i uh, i would say that probably not but i think it is just that if if it is a thought in your head then you could you know get could be held yeah. back by that thought yeah. that i have to get back uh, i have to get this uh, away i have to get this out of my way and then i can want to uh, the you know the, the other part of my career so I think it just in that sense probably uh, and I think otherwise uh, I I do believe in you know being being a lifelong learner so I mean I think just you know be open to learning be open to like what comes your way I mean I have I've, I've done a lot of learning so <laughs> I have moved around and so I think uh, that is also something I would say and I think apart from that, just, you know, like probably enjoy the journey. I mean, it is an incredible career. It is an incredible profession. Uh, also, if you are, you know, uh, if, if you ever feel that you are probably feeling a bit lost or you are not being able to find your way, then 
we try reaching out to people i think uh, what i found along the way i mean like the people that i've met they are not just smart they are also they also have a lot of empathy so the people are kind of like really really help, happy to help you out and so just just yeah i think all you need to do is to probably just reach out to people uh, find some mentors and i think that will be incredibly helpful to your career mm-hmm. um i'll change the second question because it's usually about the future of pensions which isn't so relevant um when when people well whether they're just starting or whether they've been in the profession for a few years there are different sectors you can specialize in main ones being pensions investment life and non-life um for you you've specialized in the life insurance side um what is it about life insurance that that does it for you why why should people consider becoming a life specialist um, i think uh, i think in some ways my my career was actually shaped by the first decision that i took about the job which was in life insurance but i think why should people consider life insurance is um, like other areas also i mean like when you're working in insurance i mean it is it is an area that does you know i mean you do have an impact i mean there's a chance that you are making an impact to you know like i mean it it has a real impact on people you also have and i think probably these things applies to probably other domains also but i mean i'm just trying to kind of like you know form the conversation around life insurance is that mm-hmm. and you're also kind of shaping the industry in general in some ways we are all cogs to the, this big machine so i think that that ways i mean i think that is why i i do find that life insurance is probably a good area to be in uh, i mean like otherwise if you think about it uh, like some of the work that some of the other actuaries do so these are they probably have like a, a larger impact so they are a mortality uh, specialist who basically work on you know assessing how long actuaries are going to live up so not actually how long <laughs> people are going to live i think actuaries are probably going to live very longer they are going to do all the assessment and calculations and yeah. <laughs> they will find ways to live they will model they will model a longer life Uh, but i think i mean uh, so all these uh, there are actuaries i mean uh, i work in investment but then there are actuaries who work on kind of like you know very very real issues and they not just shape the profession they also shape you know some of the uh, government directives also so in the sense i'm mean, like i mean a lot of actuaries did work on covid and what impact does it have on the longevity so that was something which which actuaries worked on in the life insurance space but that has helped you know shaping up what the government's decisions are so i think um, that that is why i think i find that uh, that uh, that is the bit that i find very very interesting my my final question is what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months and that can be work personal one of each up to you oh okay that's interesting uh what do i want to do next once uh, a few things so i think uh, like work wise i mean i think learning wise i would say I mean, like uh, one of the thing that i mean there there is a training that i have been pushing for some time now now it is a training on machine learning uh, it's okay. by uh, uh like it is it is a, a website called coursera and then they offer all these courses and then so it, it is something that i've been trying to put off for a long time so i definitely want to complete it over yeah. the next 12 months or so mm-hmm. um what else do i want to, i am a practitioner of yoga in case you are you are in tavia so i practice shivanandi yoga uh, and i absolutely love it it has been great for me it has worked wonders for me and i i, I think i propagate yoga a lot so that is something i do uh, but i i can actually do a free standing headstand so that is one of my achievements that is one of my very very proud achievements over the year but i What's want to be what's a free standing headstand so that means that i i can do it without the support of a wall Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fine. 
<laughs> I thought so without no, the arms, that would be a, no, that would be pretty. No, no. Uh, that, that, that would be that is definitely that would be an advanced yoga session that I should probably <laughs> try to master in becoming here. But yeah, I mean mastering probably some of the advanced yoga uh, inversions in coming here that is kind of like one of my personal motives. Uh, I am also looking forward to a holiday in Morocco at the end of this year. Very so nice. that's also something I'm looking forward to. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your for your time. It's been incredibly uh, interesting just hearing your journey and the different roles. And you know, you've I guess you've you've sort of worked, tried different things, had a bit of natural progression, a bit of conscious choice, and you've ended up doing what sounds like your perfect job, which you you just tell by the way you're speaking about it. You love what you're doing, and um, you know, it's lovely to to see and hear. So, um, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. I will put a link to your to your LinkedIn profile. So, if anybody's interested interested in asking you questions reaching out getting involved in your society then they can do that and um yeah thank you so much for your time and i wish you all the best thank you james i mean i had an amazing time thanks for listening to this episode of actuarial people please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review if you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com this podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.